was desperate, you know, at the time I was 17, 18, unemployed, you know, and I was desperate to, you know, to get a break. And I knew that if I did get a try, I would, you know, I would grab the chance. I think it was always going to be boxing. I mean, I stepped into the gym as a 10 or 11 year old. Boxing just took hold of my heart straight away. I love everything about the sport of boxing. Hello, I'm Marie Crow, and this is We Become Heroes, the RTE sport podcast that explores how elite athletes and sports people reach the top of their game and the lessons that they learned along the way. My guest today is two-time All-Ireland winning Tyrone footballer, Peter Canavan. Peter, thanks so much for joining me. How is life for you right now? Life's not too bad. Up here, Marie, we're, we're getting back playing a bit of football again, so uh, that's keeping us going. Been a very strange, like like everywhere. It's been a very strange few months there, um, and uh, it's been a big change in in, in many ways. Um, you can get by the very best without the the buzz and, and the activity of of normal day to day life. But uh, I must say, I didn't mind it too bad. But uh, look, it's great to get back and interact with people again, and you you've really missed the sport. So. Um, really enjoying watching the watching the games and getting the lads out to train there again is good as well. Yeah, it does feel like we're edging back towards a bit of normality. I actually watched the 2003 All-Ireland final today and your speech in the crowd afterwards and it just feels like such a world away just seeing a crowd of people on a pitch just looking up, you lifting the cup, all that. It just because of everything that we've been through, it feels hard to even imagine us getting back there. Yeah, that's right. You could recall maybe at the very start of the lockdown when it was muted whether or not the games would go ahead with, with no crowds and there was people saying no it can't happen um, but it did happen and, and we've become accustomed to watching it on TV and, and, and the, the, the lads playing when there's no atmosphere but it's not the same um, and even when you're watching other sports at the minute you know even a few hundred there make you know makes a difference so look, it's about time, um, and even for club games, you know, having club games to go ahead here and no spectators at the match, you know, and, you know, surely what harm are they doing? Um, so look, the sooner we get back to normality and crowds and creating a good atmosphere at the games, uh, the sooner the better. So you're 50 now. What is it like being a 50-year-old Peter Canavan? Thanks for trying to cheer me up, um, <laughs> me. Um, Hi, I just, uh, I don't know what to say. Um, flabbergasted. When I was a young fella running about, anybody that was 50 or close to it, uh, I thought they were ancient. Um, so uh, I'm there now. And uh, no, look, I'm enjoying life. I'm in good health. Uh, great family around me. And uh, I became a granddad, uh, granddad a few months ago there as well, Marie. So um, yeah, baby Ava has uh, certainly... Um, been very much a central focus in, in our lives since that. So that's, uh, I'm making up for lost time, so to speak. I'd say it's a big change, all right. And probably a good distraction as well, because I'd imagine in your house, Peter, with the family that you have and um, the son-in-law that you have and the, the daughter that you have playing football and your own kids and your nephews and everything, football is probably the main topic of conversation until a baby arrives. <laughs> Absolutely. And uh, everybody's world uh, revolves around uh, a wee baby. But um, look, it's, it's good. Um, and again, you think other things are important um, in your world, in, in your life. Um, and then, you know, when a wee bag comes along, the family, um, it's just great to see. And thank God she's thriving and, and doing really well. 
onion peaties given well. So look, it's it's great, and uh, I suppose we're we're blessed to to, to be in that position, um, and we'll enjoy watching her grow up. That's for sure. And just in terms of yourself, then, like, do you coach anyone? Or are you keeping fit? Like, what what's your hands-on involvement in sport and football at the moment? Um, at the moment, very much on a club front. I'm uh, on the club committee here. I've been roped into it after after many a year. Um, and I'm actually helping out with our senior ladies team in Ergelkeen at the minute with two daughters playing on it. Um, it was going to happen at some stage where I was going to have to, to, to give a helping hand. So my good friend, Podge Quinn, that would have played for Strone and Ergel down through the years, um, Podge is, is manager and had asked me to, to come in to give them a hand. So in terms of hands-on, I'm, I'm helping out with them. I'm also heavily involved in the school. I'm t- I've been teaching in Holy Trinity College for, for 28 years and I oversee the, the GAA teams there. Um, we've got a great staff, uh, a lot of players, a lot of fellas that you know, Marie, and have interviewed in the past, the Stephen Falkers and Kevio Boyles and, and so on. There's a number of others I'll not mention. Um, so we have been putting serious effort in, into our school team. We were a vacation, a vacation school a few years back. We entered Ulster schools, Ulster colleges, and we've been competing in the Macquarie Cup for the past two years just. Um, but our, our aim is that we will have all our year groups playing in Ulster schools in, in Grade A in a few years. So um, uh, we'd be putting in a big effort on that front as well. And then what about teaching? Are you still doing that? I'm still teaching. And um, thanks for mentioning that because I'm heavily involved in another project at the minute. I'm director of Holy Trinity Foundation. We've set up a foundation. Uh, it's a group comprised of local community and, and business leaders to help a fundraising programme. We're getting a new school in Cookstown after trying to get one uh, for the past 20, 23 years. Um, eventually, we're at the stage where we're ready for a new build to cater for uh, 1,300 pupils. So we have a substantial amount of money to raise for that, and I'm leading the charge on that front, so uh, and organising different events and, and whatnot. So that's taken up a good bit of my time. I'm, I'm on half a timetable focusing on, on that job and, and going out meeting other people, networking and, and trying to get a few pounds uh, into the bank. So when you're out and about meeting people, and I know you're, you're fundraising for the school, but do people just still talk to you about football? Um, absolutely. At, at times when I don't want to talk about football, they, they, they do. Um, they've got a good memory, Marie, up, up uh, this way. And we're fanatical and thrown when you, especially uh, football's number one. And um, if they're not talking about the the games from a few years ago, they're talking about the current panel, who's making it and what's happening and uh, who's going to stop the dubs and uh, can thrown get back there again. So look, there is, there's a great appetite for, for um, the GAA up here and a great appetite for sport and in, uh, in general and it's not just the GA side and, and Cookstown that have, that have helped us, um, you know, it's been a cross-community effort and we're getting a lot of support. But um, you're right, a lot of people still want to talk uh, 2003, 2005. That's good. It's a good starting point anyway. Before we move on to our set questions for the podcast, so who is going to stop the dubs? I would love to be fair to tell you, Throne are going to stop them. Um <clears throat> but they have a bit of work to do with, with new men in and Fergal and Brian, brilliant men and to, to try and, and replace someone like, like Mickey is a uh, poison chalice in, in many regards. So um, 
I think they'll, they'll need a bit of time. Um, we witnessed that with the game against Donegal where there were some good aspects and some aspects that they're going to have to work on. But the team that beat us, um, and I said this last year, I felt if, if Donegal had to get over Calvin in the Ulster final, I, I think they were well placed to uh, give Dublin a really good game. I'm not saying that they would have beat them, but they def- definitely are capable of, of putting putting it up to them. So, um, if not Donegal, then Kerry's obvious answer um, with the forward division that, that they have and with the best player in, in the country and, and David Clifford. Uh, and he's getting better and he's getting stronger and, and if the goals he scored the other day were, were something else. So, um, can Kerry build a team around him? Absolutely they can and uh, you'd be foolish to, to write them off. Yeah, well, it's only just beginning, but it's already given us so many great games already. So, um, Peter, I'm going to go through your career and going to start with Furry um, for at the beginning when you were young. What's your first earliest memory of sport? Um, it would have to be all Ireland finals or semi finals that were on the TV. Um, so you're talking mid to, to late 70s. So inevitably, that was Kerry we were looking at when it came to All-Ireland semi-finals and, and finals. So I would have grew up in the late 70s admiring them. And if you recall, I don't know if you can recall or not, back in the days when the, the All-Ireland semi-finals and All-Ireland finals was only live football that you got to see. And it was such a big occasion in the home to be sitting down to watching a game live, was, my God, this was something else. So um, we did that, and it, it was it was Kerry, and our household was no different than so many in Throne and so many further afield. You, you, you really admired the Bomber and Jack O'Shea and, and, and Mike Sheehy. So in terms of GAA, the earliest memory was, was definitely would have been Kerry. Um, around that time, you had Muhammad Ali. Um, we watched any sport in our house. My father was uh, loved. It could have been horse racing. It could have been Eddie Mackin on boomerang or show jumping. It could have been John McEnroe on tennis the next week. So I had plenty of uh, childhood heroes. So who was your hero then when you when you look back? Who was the, the one person that you wanted to be like? Well, I would say in the, in the late... 70s, it, it was probably Mikey Sheehy, um, um, the bomber, um, Jack O'Shea, those fellas. Um, but it wasn't until I would say I went to the 1984 Ulster final and Throne were playing Armagh that day. And Frank McGuigan put, a, put on one of the best displays um, probably ever in, in an Ulster final. And I mean, getting a tape of the game after it, and I watched it over and over again. So as I developed into a footballer 12, 13 on, um, my idol was Frank McGuigan, and, uh, without a doubt. And, um, you know, some of the skills, and he was such a big, strong man and all the rest, but he was really skillful, great hands. Um, so to answer your question, it, it would have been Frank McGuigan for sure. So what was life like growing up for you when you were a kid? And I know you had a really big family and one of the youngest of the, the 11, was it, or 12? You're right. There was eleven. Um, there was no electric up our, our, our way back in the time, um, Marie. Um, eleven. I was tenth of eleven. So uh, you can imagine when it came to, to dinner time at the weekends, you had to be sharp at the table, and maybe that's where I developed the the sharp elbows. Um, 
what uh, it was a brilliant house when I look back on it now, my mum in particular, how she managed to, to cope and, and manage with everybody. She ran a post office in our house as well, as well as rearing 11 children. Um, we weren't blessed with room uh, around the house either, yet uh, I never recall her you know, losing her head or having uh, impatience with any, any of us. And uh, no doubt we put demands on her. So her and my dad got on really well uh, and uh, she and him reared a great family and we're all still very close and, and live pretty close together. Um, but uh, it definitely wasn't a quiet house. There was plenty going on and uh, plenty of stick given and, and taken from, from all quarters. I'd say she was just delighted for you to go out and play football, just to get out from under her feet. Well... Well, that was the only thing we knew, Marie, in the locality was um, because when I was growing up, my older brothers were, were playing Gaelic football and my older sisters, um, Camogie at the time, and, and then ladies football. So we knew nothing else, really, to be, to be honest with you. And um, um, we soon, out in the backyard, uh, hopping the ball off the roof and waiting on it to come down and fighting and wrestling over trying to catch it. Um, so that's where that's where you learnt your <laughs> basic skills of the game. We had an old garage out at the back. Um, if it wasn't filled with turf, it would have been empty, and that was our goals. Um, shooting into that and practicing and hitting penalties and whatnot. So um, there was a lot learnt um, uh, in the home place, and you you wonder now if the same activity goes on with with the lads to the extent that it did back then and you know neighbors coming up to the backfield to kick the ball about or a small garden um you'd be spending hours you know playing about and and, and messing about but um look great memories to to look back on and as you say if it wasn't for football i, I don't know what we would have been doing <laughs> and when did you realize that you were you were good at it or that you had a bit of talent um, well, it's hard to know. Um, in our final year, my final year at primary school, um, I would have been captain of the the team, but it wasn't such a big thing because there only was three boys in the class. <laughs> so it wasn't hard to be wasn't hard to be captain of that team. But um, it's hard to say. You know, when I went to uh, secondary school. And Securians, I wasn't the biggest, and I definitely wasn't wasn't the best footballer in, in my year, uh, or maybe anywhere near. But I made the teams all right, with the exception of one team. I recall I didn't get on one team, and you're probably going to ask me about setbacks and and being <laughs> setbacks. I would say that's that's one of the first setbacks. I think it was the second year, and it came to the third year team, and I felt it was good enough to get on it. And I often tell the story to, to youngsters who are part of teams now and, and learning. So I was very disappointed. I didn't make the team, didn't make the first 15. And I got the feeling that the manager didn't pick me because I was too small and he was playing bigger, bigger players. So at the time, I didn't take it too well. You're serious about football and you want to make the school team. So I recall at the time thinking, well, I can't make myself bigger, um, but I can make myself better and I, I can just develop the skills. So at that time, Maybe I was just one-footed. I would have been kicking with my right foot. So I said, right, I'm going to go and practice harder and be more determined eventually get on the team. So luckily enough, when it came around to the following year, I was good enough and I had improved. Um, and, and I didn't look back. So um, again, when you're talking about coaching points and, and for young lads, 
you've got to make them aware. Some managers may not have time for them or, or feel that they're not good enough. And you're going to have to deal with setbacks. It could be injury, it, you know, it could be something else. But um, if you're willing to work hard enough and rather than huff and, and uh, be thick with the, the coach or the manager, go and do something about it. Try and learn from it and improve yourself. And that will leave you in a better position. So that's that's the way it worked for me. Being small, though, like I think maybe on when you were a senior player and you were wearing the massive jerseys, you probably looked smaller than than you were. But like, was that difficult when you were when you were younger? Um, I would I would love to have been a bit bigger. There's no doubt about it, um, because there were times that you were you were easily pushed off the ball, and um, it's something that you, you soon had to learn to to try and deal with that. The advantage of not being the biggest was that your agility should be a bit better. You were able to turn quicker. So there might've been a bigger, stronger fella marking you. But if you got the ball, you, you were able to turn him uh, much quicker. So those advantages have been, have been small, but um, absolutely you would have preferred when you look at the like of Michael Murphy, for example, at the minute, or even David Clifford, um, the ball doesn't have to be perfect. When, when it's kicked into those fellas. Um, I think the very first point that Michael Murphy got, if you recall, on Saturday night against Throne, it, it was a 50-50 ball that was kicked in. But just with, you know, a wee nudge and, a, you know, a strength, using a strength to give Paddy Hampshire a nudge, that made a yard of space for him, got the ball and kicked it over the bar. Just pure strength and, and, and say So at times, I, I certainly would like to have been a bit bigger, but you just have to deal with it whatever way you, you can and you'll soon realise that it's not a good idea to run into boys that are bigger than you. <laughs> I was going to say, like, I assume then because you can't make yourself any taller, you can make yourself stronger, all right, but you can't get any taller. You probably had to work on other aspects of your game, like your kicking, like your intelligence as well. Absolutely. Your game sense, um, you know, you can get to position faster than someone else if you know if the ball's going there. Uh, if you have a brave idea of what's going to happen next. So again, and, and when you're talking about size and uh, as a coach and when you're speaking to children and if there's lads or lassies that are that are too wee, you know, the example that I give them is, is Ryan McHugh. You know, if Ryan McHugh came into to your office now, you'd, you'd wonder if he was a senior footballer, um, you know, such as the size and, and stature. But yet when you see him uh, on a pitch, and the way he can orchestrate things and the way he plays, his movement, uh, his brain power. So if, you, if you're if you good enough um, and you want it bad enough, you know, you, you can overcome uh, the size aspect. And, and he's a shining example of that um, at the minute. It's so important as well to have those examples and to be able to look to the likes of you or the look to the likes of DJ Carey. Because when you look at a lot of the modern teams now, Everybody's massive in both hurling and football. Yeah, you're, you're right. And you wonder, you know, where is it going to stop? Um, I don't like comparing um, the GA to, to, to rugby too many times. But um, if you look at what's happening in, in rugby at, at the minute, the size and the physique of, of any backline um, is, is scary and um, the amount of hits and, and thumps. So there's more emphasis on um, strength and, and power than there is in you know, agility and speed and, and cleverness on the ball, which is disappointing to see. So uh, I think football's a different game. And, and I suppose Ryan McHugh 
is one example that that proves it. Um, you know, the Gooch when he was playing was slight and 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 stature, but again, talk about brain power and cleverness on the ball and bringing others and that his movement was was a joy to behold. So, you know, fellas have got to work on that and and think about their game more. Um, and if you're not blessed with with the, the size and strength of other men then you just have to concentrate and work harder on other aspects of your game, using the weaker side of your body, be it left-handed passes or, or left-footed passes. You know, if you're equally strong on, on both sides of the body, that gives you a massive advantage right away. So um, you just have to work harder um, uh, at the game and, and skills of the game. Was there a particular skill of the game that you worked the hardest on? Um. It's hard to say. Um, I would like to think I worked hard on, on all aspects. Again, I wasn't blessed. You know, some people think you see players out on, on the pitch and uh, you think that they're naturally gifted. Uh, I would have said I worked very hard when I was underage uh, on the skills of the game um, every day. And that improved me when, when it came to the bigger stage. Um, Stephen O'Neill, you know, is another example that I use that you have seen him kicking points in Croke Park uh, from either sideline with either foot, right or left. And maybe you're thinking, God, he is such a naturally gifted footballer. Yet when he was, you know, 14, 15, he, he didn't kick the ball with his right foot. And it was through sheer hard work and persistence on the training pitch. Um, because when he was an underage player, you know, teams and managers soon figured out, just double team him and, and cover his left foot and, and that's your job done. So, you know, he quickly figured that out and, and worked hard on, a, on his right foot to such an extent that was every bit as good as his left. So, um, and in terms of myself, I, I would like to think I worked hard. I wasn't, a, when it came to catching the ball over, over my head, I worked hard at that aspect. Um, a lot of people might want to comment on my tackling ability at times, wouldn't be it either. So I tried hard at it too. Was it hard being, uh, when you're playing, was it hard being someone that's targeted, like somebody that, okay, we need to get him out of the game? Um, at, at, at times it is. Um, uh, more so in, in games that were meaningless games, Marie, if you're playing a challenge match, be it with the club somewhere along the line and maybe you're not up for the game and there's somebody coming coming along looking at PC and thinking that they're gonna gonna be the big fella. That was frustrating um because it wasn't football they were playing. But to be fair to at intercounty level, um yes, there was men wanted the, their chance to take you out of it if they got a chance and, and they didn't miss you. But it would have been the same the other way around. But um in my time of playing the verbals were to a minimum. Um, the tackling was hard and all the rest, but I wouldn't say it was overly targeted, maybe one or two games, but um, generally uh, it, it wasn't too bad. And 99% of the players that marked me, we were able to, to shake, shake hands going off the pitch again, no matter what happened. That's interesting because my perception would have been that during your time that the verbals would have been pretty bad. Absolutely not. No, definitely not. Um, uh, I did a thing with, with Ashin McConville the other night. We were talking about the Armagh games, the Throne Armagh from 2001 right up to 2005. We, we had to pick our best 15 between Armagh and Throne. Uh, that was some crack, uh, I can tell you. But um, 
we we made the point. Now I don't know if, if if he made the same point, but from my point of view, Dharma in that era, and it was more often than not Andy McNulty that was picking me up. Really tight marker, dogged, aggressive, but never once did he did he open his mouth to you know to to run you down. Um, likewise with Derry, and, and we had some serious battles with Derry and Kieran McKeever. Sean Marty Lockhart, the exact same. It it was hard, and you knew you were in a game, but they didn't have to resort um, to that. So, and again, down south, and, and the games we had, even the Meath uh, battle, which which we finished poorly out of, um, you know, the players that I was on, be it Darren Fay and Mark O'Reilly, you know, there were, there was no talking. And the Dublin games that we played, any of the markers, you know, I, I couldn't leave them saying. That, that fella's a mouth and, and I would love to get him back someday. It, it wasn't the case. So thankfully, in, in my era, I know it may be starting to change a bit or it has changed. Um, the variables was, was to a minimum. Well, there can't be any variables at the moment because there's nobody at the games and we hear everything <laughs> that they say. Um, was there other sports that you played when you were growing up? Um, a wee bit of soccer. Um, not, nothing serious. When I was 17 or 18, I think, went down to a team in Oma. Uh, with my brother-in-law, who was a bit older and fancied himself as a soccer player, uh, John Joe Campbell, for those that know him, um, took me down to to play a bit um, uh, down in Oma. So I enjoyed it, and it was a bit of crack. Uh, I made the first team after two or three weeks, so I'd like to think if I had a stuck at it, uh, I could have played it. Um, I played a bit for a team in Ballygally for a few weekends when they were stuck for players. And, and done okay but look it was something that I uh, seen purely as a re- recreational it was a bit of crack to be had um, uh, it was never going to interfere with anything I would have liked to have played rugby or, or tried to play in a competitive matches um, I played in a few exhibition and, and charity matches just, just for the crack um, and again you would have liked to have tried your hand at it but uh, as a point I made earlier when you see the size of some of them fellas it, it wouldn't have been a safe environment for me to participate in. I'd say you would have done all right. <laughs> uh, so at what stage did you think, okay, I um, I can make it here. I can at least, at the very least, be on the Tyrone senior football team every week in, week out and potentially be part of a team that can go on and lift the Sam Maguire. Um, when I started playing, when I was lucky enough to get the call up, we, we had a good, um, had a very good uh, um, vacations thrown vacation schools. I went to school in St. Cairns, Ballygally, and, and for two years thrown, won the vacation schools. And at that stage, the final was played prior to the National League final. So in 88 and 89, uh, the two finals were held. I think Dublin Meath played in one of those finals and you were playing before a massive crowd. So that was a brilliant experience just to get playing in Croke Park. And um, I even recall um, after that final taking a lump of grass um, out of Croke Park because uh, Croke Park was a mecca and, and you didn't know if you're ever going to get playing on it again. Um, and at that time, certainly Throne hadn't been, they'd been to one All-Ireland final and they'd only won a few Ulsters. So, Literally, you just didn't know if you were going to get back there again. Um, but we went on our minor team won Ulster in 88, and we had a very good on the 21 team. We won three Ulsters in a row, 19, 91, 92, won two All So after winning those All Irelands, we beat uh, Kerry in the first final in 91, we beat Galway in the second. And 
you know, when you're beating Kerry and Galway and, and other finals, you re- realise, you know, you're not far away. And um, I would have believed then that it was inevitable that, yeah, damn sure we were going to go and, and do something that had never been done before from a throne point of view. So I'd say that really got you motivated and got us motivated and, uh, and believing, more importantly, um, because the thought process with a lot of people in throne was we would never win an All-Ireland, you know. So um, I would say winning those titles was was really an important factor in me believing that, yep, we're, we're good enough to win it. Was there anything else then besides football? Was it just tunnel vision, so serious, obsessive almost? Yeah, uh, it, it was from, from my point of view. Um, it, it, it was number one. Um, and once I was uh, once I was a part of it, um, uh, there was no there was nothing else, absolutely not. And it was all consuming. And um, you did everything was evolved, you know, revolved around the the football. Um, I was very fortunate to be part of a really strong uh, club here in Ariel Cairn that won our first um, county title and, and Ulster club in '93. So. There was expectations there every year as uh, as well. So if you weren't going flat out to the county, it, it was a big push with the with the club. So um, and bear in mind, you, you wanted to achieve something that had never been done before. So that was the motivating factor. And thrown into the mix for myself and and my teammates of of my era, we had to watch our neighbours in Armagh. Sorry, Donegal, Derry and down, all when the All-Ireland, 91, 92, 93, down 94 again. So when that was going on, uh, you were saying, it has to come to us, when are we going to do it? And they were motivating us by by winning it. So uh, needless to say, the fact that we got there in 95 and didn't do it uh, was a great source of bitterness and, and disappointment from, from a throne point of view. Yeah, and was... What was the biggest motivator then? So was it the fact that people were doing it around you that had never been done before, that you wanted to do it for yourself? Um, probably selfish. And when I look back, I was, you know, I spoke about family life earlier on there. Um, at the time, you say, oh, I'm single-minded and, and something has to be done. When you look back on it now, you could say, you could say you're selfish. And if it hadn't have been uh, for a very patient uh, wife and in, in my case and, and knowing how important football was to me um, to facilitate me and, and, and going out to train and doing what I was doing then you probably wouldn't have uh, I cert- certainly wouldn't have got playing the length of time that I did um, but there was a single mindedness there the fact that we got there in 95 and came that close to to getting over the line and, and controversial circumstances. Um, and then in 96, uh, with a really good team again, getting hammered by by Meath and being demoralised after it, you know, served to me as a motivating factor and moving forward. And unfortunately, others didn't stick at it and didn't stay stay the pace. But um, so eventually, whenever we did get over the line, it, it, it you know it made it all worthwhile, and uh, there was a lot of effort and a lot of time went into that, um, and to eventually crack it was was something else. 
Yeah, it really was so special. I watched it, as I said earlier, and like just shivers seeing the crowd and you and what it meant to everybody. You could just even still sense it from from the TV. Now, I know we mentioned a little bit earlier about setbacks and not making that team in third year. Was that your biggest setback or were there others that you had to overcome during your career? Um, uh, Name me a player that that hasn't or a sportsman or sportswoman that, that hasn't overcome difficulty or obstacles and the most successful if they're honest would say that they've had to deal with a lot and overcome a lot we were talking about Ruby Walsh earlier and, and I listened to his you you ask Ruby or AP had they many obstacles and setbacks to overcome to be you know before they achieved what they achieved and they'll give you a list of injuries uh, that, that'll keep you going for about an hour um, so I think anybody that that is successful in any career has to overcome and has to learn how to deal with setback and if you learn to deal with it and, and take it placidly and, and that's the way it is and do nothing about it or if you're thick enough and thick skinned enough to say you're going to come back better and stronger then I think um, it's knowing that there's going to be hurdles and obstacles there so to answer your question, I had a fair few injuries from 15 on. I think I broke my arm at 15. The day after the All-Ireland final, thrown beat, or Kerry beat thrown, I broke my arm in, in two places. I broke it once since. Uh, knees, ankles, um, jaw, um, Achilles ten. I had a fair uh, share of uh, setbacks when it, when it came to injury. Um and that was frustrating, especially when you got older. Um, they seem to be more common. But um, again, with county setup, you had great men around you. And, and, and from a medical point of view, um, other setbacks, you know, the death of my father, for example, in, in 2003, prior to that, there was no, you know, death, thankfully, hadn't come to our door in, in any shape or form. That was unexpected. Uh, so it was difficult. To, to deal with and that was the first time really that I had to deal with, with grief uh, close at hand um, so uh, but again it's 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 a setback and if you have the right men, uh, mentality and when you work with somebody like Mickey Hart um, who has proven time and time again you know but in terms of turning adversity and turning something negative into a positive uh, and and the power of positive thinking um, can work wonders. So again, to have good people around you and, and to keep you in the straight and narrow is invaluable. And, uh, you know, I don't care who you are and what your sport is. I think you need guidance. Um, and today is no different than, than 20 years ago. And thankfully, from my point of view, really good managers, good people around me and, and a very loyal family that would, would keep your feet on the ground. When you lost your father, did football help you process it and, and deal with the grief? Um, yeah, it, it probably did. Without a doubt, it did. Because now, if you come home from work or, you know, and, and you had a tough day, uh, the best thing you do is get outside and go for a walk or get a bit of fresh air, go for a run. and You, you feel energised after. So those years training was doing that. You were going to training, pent up, worried about this and that and again after a really good tough training session there's good morale good crack and and you feel better for it so 
I would say to answer your, your question, absolutely. Um, you know, I, I refer to Kevin Hughes after uh, at a meeting, the first throne meeting after Cormac McAnallen passed away. And a lot of the fellas were not in the mood for playing football. It was the, you know, the last thing on their mind, getting back to training. Didn't want to go near it. Um, you know, but, but Kevin Hughes made the point and Kevin had lost family members and he says, boys, we'll go to training whenever training starts because we know nothing else. That's what we do. That's what we're good at. And um, whenever it starts, we'll, all, we'll get back at it. And, you know, coming from him, I, I think that everybody sat up and said, that's it. Um, we're all comfortable on the pitch. Uh, we enjoy training. And you might feel like it at the time. Could be a bad evening. You might want to go out for a walk, but as soon as you do, and as soon as you're out, you feel better. So again, good people, good leadership around you. And from my point of view, I would say yes. Playing playing football was um, it was good for you, surely, to cope with with things like that. So you you've brought on along nicely then to to good people and people around you. Who had the biggest impact on your career? Um. It's hard to say because I would say uh, there there was a lot of people um, along the way played an, an important part. Um, you know, different you know, boxing or athletics. You know, you, you might have one trainer you know, most of your career, or something like that. Football is a team sport. There's so many people around you, and a management setup and and, and players. Uh, so you know, from home, I spoke about my dad and how important he was, and and keeping you level and and giving you wee pointers now and again. Um, uh, my brother Pascal, in, in particular, uh, you know, was giving me such good advice when I look back on it at the time and keep me right with regard to different things I was doing on and off the pitch. Um, and then from a playing point of view, you know, with Art McCrory who I played most of my career under um, himself and, and Mickey Art McCurry and Eugene McKenna, really brilliant managers to play under. And you, you, I learned so much from them. And then Mickey came in and you, you only but had to admire the way that he was managing teams and the way he spoke uh, and the way he managed to you know get everybody pulling the one way. So all those people had you know helped me uh, along the way. Uh, I spoke earlier about being single-minded or about being selfish, one one or, or the other. Would I have had the success I had if it hadn't been for Fanola here at home and, you know, the way that she facilitated me going out and, and, and putting in the effort and time that was required? Um, absolutely not. And you see a lot of fellas now not being able to make uh, that commitment for, for, for family reasons. So... Uh, I wouldn't say one, Marie, they, they all add up and they were all very important and very valuable to me when it came to to achieving. And as Mickey Hart always says, trying to be the best that you can be, that's all you want to be and wherever that takes you. So I would like to think I, I certainly got that opportunity and um, I would have no complaints in that regard um, when you look back. So when you do look back and you think of the footballer that you wanted to be or just from when you were growing up and, and what you thought you could achieve, what was your greatest performance, the performance that defines you? Um, 
that's hard to say. Um, I would say you'd be better judged to, to select something than, than me. And I don't look back on, um, there's different games that you play that you're really proud of doing something, be it a pass, setting up somebody, taking a great score, taking a hand out of a defender. Uh, but there's plenty of games that I can look back on that I uh, wouldn't have been too proud of some of the things that I did. Um, but I, I would like to have thought that when I performed, I was honest um, and I did my best. And there was very few games that I, I would have came off that I felt I, I could have given more or, or, or you know, did more. So um, it's, it's, it's very hard. Um, I'd be proud of the fact that I stuck at it. You know, as I mentioned earlier, a lot of fellas didn't for different reasons didn't hang on and, and and didn't see it see it through maybe they didn't believe that the throne were going to win in all Ireland so you know uh, the fact that myself and Chris probably Chris Lawn were, were the only two from around the 21 days that were still standing um that in itself says something was it hard to stick at it um it, uh, it, it was when you when you're thinking you were good enough and you kept getting beat on, on the big day, beat by Armagh. We lost an All-Ireland quarter-final to Sligo um, one year um, in 2002 and we'd won the National League and we, we thought we were there, thereabouts. Um, so at times you would have questioned uh, whether or not you were wise to, to try and hang in, but uh, it's quite a did. <laughs> so what was when you look back in your career what was your greatest success um, I, I would say from a, a club point of view here we have a very strong club in Eregel and winning um, throne in 93 for the first time winning Ulster club um, we're still only, the only throne club to have won an Ulster club title um, that's a great source of uh satisfaction and, and I take a lot of pride in that and and being the first um being a member of the first team that that won the All-Ireland because I played with some of the Thrones best ever players Eugene McKenna, Damien O'Hagan, Plunkett Donaghy, Kevin McCabe, John Lynch, all those fellas and I'd seen the effort in the late 80s that that they put into it um and and didn't get the success out of it that we did and then you, you get to see so many older people after one that you wouldn't at the time beforehand, but going around so many and listening to so many stories of people that went to all Ireland finals and that folly thrown all over the country. And, you know, you hear people saying about men saying that, that they'll go to their grave happy. You know, there's men with tears in their eyes saying that to you and, and from different parts of the county. And it, it, it gives you a better understanding, a greater appreciation of just how important football was to people and is to people um, in this part of the world, no different than a lot of other counties. So that's, you know, that was very satisfying to see and, and to hear a lot of that and knowing that that you are one of the members of that team that, that managed to, to bring home Sam Maguire and we've left it now that other youngsters who want to play Gaelic football and put on a throne jersey um, believe that they, uh, it can be done. And when we were growing up, we often wondered if it could be. Now children are growing up here, knowing and believing that yes, they can, they can win an all earned. Was it like everybody knew you when you were playing, and, and still know you now? And like you're a hero and a role model to so many people. Was that difficult being so being such a big star, really? 
I've only lost it a few years. Um, <laughs> really. um, but uh, that takes a bit of getting used to. Um, when you start off playing for for uh, for your county, you get asked to sign the autograph and you feel great. Um, then when you win something, it, it was non-stop for uh, a few years. But looking back, it's, it's nice. And again, the majority of experiences that I've had have been very positive. Um, the odd time, surely, there could be something said to you or, or people ring you, but look, that's part and parcel of it. You have to accept that. But you know, it's gotten me a lot of places, um, you know, with all-star trips, um, getting to represent Ireland and international rules and playing for your country. And um, look, so, you know, I think that's a small price that, that you have to pay um, for being successful and, and, and for being part of it. So, um, I, look, I say it as I was very privileged. I was part of a very good thrown team that won in All-Ireland and a lot of men can't say that. So, I'll put up with a bit of hassle for that. <laughs> That's for sure. I actually asked my nine-year-old the other day, did you know who Jim O'Connolly was? And he didn't. It's mad the way it just moves on so quickly. It's like when you're gone, you're gone and they're only interested in the next well, the players. Well, they some, some of the teachers in the school asked the, some of the first-year pupils who I was and they didn't know me uh, <laughs> oh, no. either, Marie. So it's two years to belong going in. Yeah, that's for sure. So um, this is a hard one now and it's one that people really struggle with, but I think you might have touched on it a little bit. But what do you think your legacy is going to be? It doesn't really matter. Um, uh, what's your legacy? Um, uh, an honest performer, um, a, a competitor, um, someone that did his best. Um, again, for me, it certainly didn't matter when, when you're playing. Um, and I'm sure there's so many other people in, in different sports would, would say the exact same. I was never worried what the outside opinion was um, when I was playing. Um, and I know you interviewed me different times and I... It, you know, I all I was worried about was uh, not giving in the way that the opposition would would latch on to. Um, so, you know, it, it, football consumed me, and uh, I didn't care. Uh, there were things that I did in the pitch that weren't pretty, and I wish I hadn't have done. But at the time, I wanted to win the game, um, and 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 that's it. So, in terms of um, a legacy, uh, you know, and I'm still. It's nice to be recognised here and there, uh, but it certainly doesn't uh, define me. And I think it's just more important um, with my own lads and girls doing whatever you're involved in, whatever sport you play, just give your best, show respect to the people that's helping you out and, and do your best and you'll feel the better for it. So in terms of legacy, uh, it, it never crossed my mind. It's not something that I would think about. And not a great answer. It's not a great answer to your question. <laughs> it's your but, answer, yeah. though, so it's fine. Do you, you said there there was a, like a few times on the pitch that you did things that weren't pretty, but you wanted to win the match. Have you any regrets about having that kind of win at all cost mentality? I couldn't help it. Um, I, I suppose I, I had to learn the, the hard way in, in many regards that you're going out playing naive and that football's football. But, you know, we came up against me, for example, at '96. Um, that that was a tough way to lose, but that was that was tough football. That's you have to take the rough with the smooth, 
And are you going to cry about it or are you going to stand up for yourself and, and do something about it? So um, I suppose I quickly developed that mentality. Um, you, you couldn't expect referees to, to be doing, to be seeing everything and, and to be doing everything for you. So it's a case of, of learning the hard way, maybe. Um, but uh, I do wish I had to control the, the temper a wee bit better than I did. <laughs> It's easy to look back and say that, I guess. Um, so we're nearly done, Peter. What's next for you, do you think? Do you see yourself doing any more management or anything like that? Um, I don't. It's not something that um, really uh, motivates me. Um, I was asked that, but, you know, but when Mickey stepped down and would have gone with Fergal and, and, and Brian and I'd said it, it never was a burning ambition of, of mine to manage throne and if that's the case then you shouldn't be you shouldn't be manager because when I was playing I don't think anybody could accuse you of not having a burning ambition to win and you're prepared to do and to win so I think you need to have that and fairness to Fergal and, and Brian you know they put their hand up they, they want to do the job um, I, I really enjoyed working with the Fermanagh lads um, I managed Calvin Gales for a year down in, in Calvin um, and coaching with, with teams, yes, is great. I really enjoy working with the lads at school. Um, they give a brilliant effort. They treat you with respect and, and they want to learn. Helping out with the girls, the minutes, great. I, I enjoy it. But again, it's, it's not it's not a burning ambition I have um, to get back into management. I'm privileged working with Sky and BBC at the minute, you know, being asked to commentate on, in, in games, especially when nobody was allowed to go into Watson. <laughs> and to get down to watch... The likes of, of Dublin, close at hand, one of the greatest teams ever to play our game. Um, you're in a very privileged position to be asked to, to give your opinion on that. So, you know, I enjoy that. Um, and, and, and in terms of moving forward, you know, if two lads and two girls that are playing for my club uh, and the two boys are involved in, in county teams at the minute. So, you know, I, I get a kick out of watching them play and, and uh, hopefully win and, and to uh, achieve uh, as well so um, uh, maybe the my time will be spent more looking at them than it will trying to achieve things myself. Well Peter you said that you're in a privileged position to be able to watch games we were in a privileged position to be growing up watching you thanks so much for all the great uh, days out on the pitch and thanks so much for joining me on We Become Heroes and also thanks to everybody for watching and listening please like subscribe and leave a review.